0: Trailblazer tonight is a legend of Australian football. 150 caps in A internationals for her country. A storied career all over the world, including two FIFA Women's World Cup All-Star teams. She's made 117 appearances in the W League and has recently lifted the championship trophy for the fifth time. Our Trailblazer tonight is Lisa Devana. I got the- Lisa Devanna, a very warm welcome to you. Firstly, congratulations on yet another W League title. How were your celebrations? <laughs>
1: no, it's, been, it's been awesome. It's
0: still surreal.
1: Um, the feeling's still the same as it was Sunday, but it's, it's just been
0: amazing. <laughs> well, that match was so intense. It was end to end. And personally, you came within a whisker of goal on more than one attempt. What did you make of the way the whole game played out? Was it what you're expecting?
1: no um it was quite funny because the day before um we actually played um i said to the girls all right let's let we need to practice penalties like it's important (laughs) um and i said put your hand up if you want to take it only two people put up and i'm thinking oh no (laughs) let's just (laughs) hope it doesn't go to to penalties and then i sort of had a go at them and said you know i know that taking pens you've got to be courageous it takes a brave person to step up and take it and if you get into this situation you need to step up and it doesn't matter if you miss because you know it's being brave and then a few others and, and you know like the players that i expected big game players I sort of pushed it and but in my head at that, that training session I'm going I am going to do whatever it takes so it does not go to, to penalties <laughs> because no one's going to step up anyway during the game um you know when we hit the cross when I hit when i hit the crossbar i'm like oh, okay, it's too early in the game. And then when second half came and there was chance after chance after chance. And and there was one time Jada's pulled off the save and the balls literally hit my right, like hit my foot. And somehow I tripped trip over. I, I don't even know how that's even physically possible. I just laid on the ground. i just looked up at the stars and says, you're really going to do this to us today, aren't you? You're really going to push us right to the limits. And I just started laughing. And then it just... You know, it took the last kick, and I thought, if I actually thought, you know, if this corner doesn't go in, uh, it, it's going to end not so good. And and yeah, we, we did it, and it's and it's a good feeling. It's a, a great feeling because you want the, you know, we were the better. I personally think we were the better team, and we're the one that created the most chances. And and just it was just the like, yes, we finally did it. If you believe in yourself and you're persistent and you trust. You know, it eventually get you get there. So yeah, so that was my whole mental stressness and frustrations during the game. That whole hundred and twenty minutes.
0: Well, how has your body pulled up? Because uh, during the season, uh, you know, you've you've been given a break. You're just after the hour mark or seventy minutes or so. Hundred and twenty minutes. How are those legs feeling?
1: Yeah, look, uh, I, my quads were really sore the next day. <laughs> actually, after the game,
0: um, but. It,
1: it was really to be, to be quite fair emotionally and mentally hurt more like mm. that hurt me more during the game than it did than my body because it was like telling myself you need to keep going you need to keep going It and it wasn't it wasn't that the body couldn't do it it was just the mind because we just felt like we have to find a goal we have to the ball has to go in back to the net and it was frustration and because you know if you can strengthen your mind and things you're, you're, your body overcomes a lot of things and so yeah I think that was probably the the hardest thing for me is mentally than
0: physically. And what was the message from Jeff Hopkins during those breaks between the extra time uh minutes? What was his message? Was he pretty calm? Um
1: he look
0: he he's a pretty calm guy. <laughs> but I I I'm pretty sure deep
1: down he was shitting himself. I'm pretty sure he would have been a bit nervous gone, man. <laughs> The ball has to go on the back of the net. Like, there's nothing more he could say as a coach in terms of playing wise, because we'll tick in all the boxes, go at them, create chances, put them under pressure, chase things down, um, keep possession. We did everything you can ask, and in, in terms of football, mm. and but it had and and you know and you saw how hard we worked, and we did everything you could possibly ask as players and, and as a team. It's just he would have to say, it's got, he constantly says, it's coming, it's coming. The players are saying the benches and the other stuff, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming because of the chance after chance. And it's just believing that it was going to happen. Um, and that's the only thing that he kept on saying. He just said, keep working, it's coming, it's coming. Because everything else would want everything right. Mm.
0: And what what made victory such a good side this season, the momentum from the Navy blue side coming down the final stretch was incredible. You guys really had it together. What was it about you?
1: Um, team culture. I think I think we created a, a culture of personally, you know, you're gonna respect everyone. And look at, and you've got to educate them um about that. Like a lot of these girls have never played W League and and this their first time and then there's a lot um That have, and then you've got some players that come from MPL level to W League level, and there's some that's playing, you know, ninety minute games that never play ninety minutes games, and it's just teaching them what do you want as a team, Mm -hmm. and how you're going to achieve that as a team, and 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 one thing was, you know, we have to respect everyone regardless of who you are and what you do. You have to respect. Mm. and take everything on board, and that was a key thing. And then making people accountable is one thing, and that was one of my things that I actually enjoy doing is making people accountable because sometimes they just don't know. Yeah, so for me it's making people accountable because I'm a, I am feel that as as a player and I lead by example. So if I'm at training and I'm playing high intensity and I'm aggressive and I'm pushing – and I don't see my strikers doing it or the players behind me, I'm quite happy to stop the session and, and ask them why they're not doing it. And, and that was what started to become a habit in the team. People now pushing from, uh, from the back line to the midfield, to strikers, from the goalkeepers. We demanded that because we knew there was going to be a point in the game that down the track that we would need to be strong mentally. And, and that was a game that we had to because it was, you know, we could have gave up and thought, no, this is this is the ball's not going to go in. Let's not stop chasing. Let's just, you know. But we were resilient and we fought to the very end. And I knew there was going to be a moment. And and yeah, it was the Sydney game. And and I think the last three games before that, um, you know, we had to play on a Sunday and then play on a on a Wednesday and then play a semifinals on a, a Sunday and then, you know, back it up another week later with a championship game. So. Yeah, and that was probably the exciting part. I think that's what I enjoyed most, um, and maybe you know, really love football because there was just no entitlement. There was no um, big egos. Everyone enjoyed each other's company. There was no bitchiness. There was nothing like that, and it was just really nice.
0: Mm, the environment looked like it worked so well, and particularly for you, you mentioned how the W League had a huge injection of youth, but it was so important to have. Uh, the experience of players like yourself uh, involved in that to help with uh, consistency and and the culture of these sides? When you came back to Australia from Italy, and it was during the COVID nineteen pandemic, you had a pretty long hard think about where you wanted to play. Why did you end up choosing Victory?
1: To be honest, I actually didn't want to play football anymore. Like the it being like in locked up in um, Italy for three months and just the COVID side of things, and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and then I went home and just spent time with my mum and just really, like, lived that little girl childhood again and just hanged out with the kids in the neighbourhood and started to do go to, like, the Perth NTC and just be around that. I just needed to feel a kid again because it's just been so much pressure of these expectations and standards when you get to, to that kind of level. And that, I just needed to be brought down to earth a little bit and, you know, and that sort of made me love the game a little bit. And then... Um, and then I started to think, oh, you know what, I'll just give W League one more crack. And and my sister just had a baby. And I thought, you know, oh, I've got to be around the family at the moment. But I wanted to do the respectful thing with Sydney FC because that was my last um, W League team. And I love Danny. I love Danny so much. And I have a lot of respect for Ante and T. So, I, you know, I spoke to Danny and I said, this is what I'm up to. And then, yeah, so then Jeff called me up and we had a chat and I told him, like, this is what I'm feeling and this is what I want. And then after, you know, I made the decision to sign with uh, Victory, Um, Jeff told me the kind of plays he's getting and what 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 the plans are. And I just said to him, we're going to win the championship. Mm -hmm. And I just knew, I just knew I had this inkling because I just liked, I knew some majority of the plays. And because I knew that the league this year was all about, young players and more of a, not a development league, but, like, fresh new faces, I knew that I could get the best out of this team if I had a bit more responsibility. And, yeah, and I just knew. And, and look, it's, it's just great that <laughs> that we end up getting a, a medal from it.
0: Well, for you, it was a fifth W League trophy lift. You're involved in both of Melbourne Victory's title wins, uh, Melbourne City's inaugural title, where they defeated Sydney FC, and, of course, uh, Brisbane, who beat Sydney in 2011. Do they all feel slightly different? Yeah. Um, look, Brisbane, Brisbane, I came back from injury. So I broke my
1: leg um, in the 2010 um, uh, World Cup qualifiers. So I was coming back from injury and I really enjoyed that team. And that was like the team of Matildas. So I really enjoyed that. And then um, I won it with victory. Um, and I didn't get the same feeling that I wanted that I did this year. Um, I, I still enjoyed winning, of course. Um, mm. And then obviously I had issues at City and we won there. So I didn't really enjoy it that much. And then um, Sydney, I didn't get to play too much in the finals, and but I still enjoyed it. But this feeling was different because I felt that I was part of something bigger than just football. Uh, You know, and I felt like I was part of a a family, something that I, you know, I I, I helped develop and and taught these girls because I feel like, you know, their mentality every game got stronger and stronger and I felt that I demanded a lot of that and made people accountable for it. So to to lift that trophy and everyone thinking the same
0: as me was, you know, a real surreal feeling. A family culture is very important for Lisa Devanna. After the break, we go back to where it all started in her football journey. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Lisa Devanna is our Trailblazer today. Lisa, what is your first football memory? My first football memory would be back
1: home in Perth. Playing with the boys. No pressure, no nothing, just being a kid. Yeah, it was good times. Like, you don't have that anymore. You don't have kids going out with their their mates and playing these days it's all about iPhones and social media and you know <laughs> families are drilling things into them so at such a young age, you know, you want them to be kids. And I think I'm very blessed at the fact that I, I got I had a, a childhood where a Nintendo was playing real football, not not on the the PlayStation. So yeah, that's probably my earliest memory that
0: I can think of with my brother and my neighbour across the road just loved it. Yeah, as you mentioned, Perth-born and your Portuguese roots, of course, you had an innate love for the game and the ball. Is it true you used to sleep with it? I just had like just a bit on my bed. I didn't sleep with the
1: ball, technically. <laughs> but nah, I look, I was obsessed with it. Yeah, it was. It was my um, runaway place. It was a place where I could just feel like in a happy place. So yeah, so I, I had it with me all the time
0: and your first foray into organized football because I sometimes wonder you've just alluded to it what what we might be missing now is is that kids go out and play in the street they come in when it's dark they play at lunchtime they play after school uh, how did you get into organized football and where was that well it's it's yeah it was quite different to what it
1: is now probably the reason why I've got a bit of a reputation of being a, a lunatic because I had to play on the street. <laughs> and, you know, playing with boys, you know what boys are like. They're rough and they talk like swearing and all that stuff. So I became exactly like a boy. So when I actually had to go in an organized setting, so I didn't know how to act because I was just acting like what the boys do. I must have been probably, uh, you know, uh, maybe when I was 12, maybe 13, I started playing with the girls comp, but I was like saying I was probably too good to play in in, in the girls group. Um, And I would train with the boys and I used to love it because Mm. they just couldn't, they couldn't understand how I would play the, like they didn't know what to do because I was so aggressive Mm. and, and I'd go in hard and, and i would swear at them and, and, be like them but they're like well man chicks not meant to be doing stuff like that (laughs) do we actually go and tap with her I'm actually scared of her so she's actually wanting the ball and when they didn't get the ball you know I'd scream at them give me the ball like so they didn't know how to (laughs) handle me um even in high school um it became very popular very quickly
0: um but yeah like I just that is I can't even remember, to be honest, yeah. so well, it, it was, sounds like you were, just, you were beating them at their own game. Um, do you think that we could have more of that? Because the experience that you're mentioning, I've seen uh, periodically over recent years where we're so intent on getting women's comps and girls' teams together, they're actually missing out on that extra edge of aggression. Do you think it's we could find a better balance for that or need to?
1: Yeah, look, uh, it's a hard one. Um I think the girls. It's hard because you know physically you have to be up for it as well. Mm. And um, to be fair, I think it's getting better. I think like in the past you would have to pick the one or two really good girls to put them in the in the, the boys group, mm. and and they would pass you. As in, if you had if you had to put a bunch of girls in a boys group and they were okay girls, the boys wouldn't play you. But I think now that generations have evolved a little bit, I think you know you can get a group of girls and a group of guys and they'll work together. So I think it's starting to evolve a little bit. But I still believe that the, the aggression in the game for women's football is not quite there yet. Um, it will for Australia at least, um, and the mindset as well. Um, so, but you want the you know you don't. It's sort of like you've got the the aggressionness of those players that they're technically not good enough. And then you've got the technical players that are not aggressive. So how do you work (laughs) together to make that all in one? Mm. Uh, I don't know. Mm. It probably has to start from grassroots, which I think needs to be a lot better than what it is now.
0: So when you came out of grassroots, how far did you think you would go? Were you just keen on playing and not so much focused on where the game could take you or were you already aware that you were going places with football? Grassroots, I had no grassroots. My <laughs> grassroots was my brother kicking
1: the shit out of me and the boy bloody pushing me and telling me that they would never beat me and stuff. So And I was, by the age of five, I was I was a warrior. <laughs> by the age of 10, I was bloody in, in wars. Um, no, I was, I knew, I, I just knew in my heart that no matter what direction I did in football, I was always going to lead to football. It didn't matter if I went to road A, road D, road F. It was always going to be where I am now.
0: Well, you ended up um, going to England uh, to the Doncaster Rovers' Bells. And now they've got a long yeah. history in women's football. What made you decide to go over there?
1: To be honest, I don't even really know. I don't know. It was some guy just said, Do you want to go play in the, uh, <laughs> um, England? I think. Uh, I think... To be honest, I just got out of a relationship, and I'm like, you know what? I'm sick of this. I'm, I need to go, <laughs> and yeah, and I just, I've just gone. I, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I just, I didn't even know how I even got there. I've just signed a contract. It wasn't even. I didn't even get properly paid. Mm. I, I, it was just nothing compared to what it is now. I probably played about five games because England got flooded half the time. Mm. <laughs> it was yeah. There was no Netflix. There was no internet. I had to go um, walk to the center and for about two hours and email my family so they know all my life wow. it was I probably trained probably three times a week so it was, <laughs> I worked in a bar every Friday and Saturday night just to, to do something it was just yeah it was just crazy like time <laughs> to think about it <laughs> that was my first professional overseas like yeah I was what 22 at yeah, the time you've yeah. never done anything like that I just thought just go and, do it and so um, brave
0: yeah. that's that takes yeah. a lot of guts as well uh, even even uh, if you're not yeah. sort of focusing on it and and concentrating on the on the experience it takes a lot of guts to actually go and do that because then of course a couple of years later I saw you head to sweden was that a similar experience
1: no so Don after doncaster i came back home and i was actually really sad for some reason because i I don't don't know what happened with the the Matildas and stuff and it was and Tommy I think Tommy yeah Tommy was the coach and Mm. then I think one of the players got injured and then I just because I didn't have a good like I did have a good experience but I didn't have a good football experience in Doncaster Mm. um and I think Tommy rang me up and he's like oh I think Jenna Trishnan I think Mm. got injured and he wanted me to come into that cup and I said look Tommy I'm not fit he goes no just come and then, you know, I came into that camp and, yeah, I just found the love, like, back again. And, yeah, never ever since then, Tommy can't get rid of me. He says he <laughs> wanted to get rid of me, but he's, he's a liar. He's uh, <laughs> he kept me there for the next 10 years.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Mr. Samani's influence in your career in a moment. But uh, just first, the USA, you bounced back and forth between the States and Australia for quite a number of years. Those crazy days of women's professional soccer with Magic Jack, Was that uh, just fun? Was it weird? Was it just months? So everything,
1: because I had such a successful year in 2007 World Cup and the Matildas made the papers for the first time ever and Brayton made the quarterfinals, like there was the interest in the women's game, that was Mm. the turning point. So obviously um, I got a bit of a, a big profile from that tournament. And then I think... I went and played. Like, I had a lot of clubs contacted me, wanted me to go play here and there. And then I obviously went to Sweden and played there. Had a good experience, loved it, killed it. And then the US National League started and they drafted. I was one of the drafts to go to Washington. Mm -hmm. So, but by then I was that, like, confident in my ability. Like, I felt that I could compete and be the best in the world at that time. Like just because I had such a good World Cup and I've been compared to Marta and Marta was like the goat at the time, like the best player and they're saying you're on par with her. And and then um, I went to Sweden and it was the same. I'm competing with her again. So then I went to America and that that just completely changed very quickly. You know, Um, I got um, to learn more about leadership and You know, when you have someone like Abby Wambach, who was literally the god of women's football, and then you've got, you know, Sawa, who is the queen of Mm -hmm. (laughs) Japan, and then I had Sonia Bompasta, who's a legend uh, in France. There was so much football royalty in that team that I just completely changed my mentality a lot because I had to learn all these other skills because they just I could play, but I didn't have that extra X factor they had, and that was being a leader on and off the field. So for me, that was a big changing point as me as a person. Even though I did get into trouble a lot in terms of the national <laughs> team and, and caused a lot of trouble, I still felt like <laughs> I learnt a lot from those those four players or three players. Please. So yeah, so yeah, so yeah. that that was probably the, the a real lesson for me um, and 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 professionalism like. The way they conduct themselves and how they act and like all that stuff, rocking up at one hour before, wearing the right gear, you know, how you talk to players, all that stuff I learnt through those three players. And then it just
0: happened through through the team. Lisa Devanna had a huge impact in green and gold. Next up, we talk about her experience playing for her country. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Lisa, by 18, you're in young Matildas. I don't think you stayed there very long because you've made your debut uh, in the senior team. What do you remember of your first national team call up?
1: Yeah, well, I remember like the young Matildas and yeah, that wasn't a a good experience. And I thought, oh, well, you know, that that really bothered me because if Mm. I had gone to that young Matildas, uh, the tournament, uh, the World Cup Youth Tournament, you know, that was the likes of Sinclair,
0: mm.
1: uh, Marta, all these big names really shined in, in that tournament. That's where everyone started to talk about these players. And if I had gone to that tournament, I I, I felt that I would have been in that kind of calibre. That sort of set me back a little bit and I thought, oh, you know what, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be playing for the Matildas anytime soon. And then um, the World Cup happened, I think the year after or that same year. I'm mm-hmm. not the women's World Cup, which I felt I could have gone to, but because I was probably say a little bit misunderstood, mm-hmm. um, I didn't make the cut for that one. But then, um, you know, obviously um, I got an opportunity to with Angel Santrak, he, he took over the the team for the Athens World uh, Athens Olympics, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so that's where it all started. I started to. Played my first international games in that year, so my first international games, I guess it was against New Zealand, and I actually scored with my head. I don't think it was a debut goal, but I can't remember. But I know that my first goal was with my head because I think it was the qualifications for the Olympic Games. Mm. So that was my first memory. Um, but it was with all the old older girls, you know, the old ones. Like
0: yeah, who were your teammates?
1: Um, oh, I think Daisy was there. Cheryl, you know, obviously had the Gary. Ops, I think Sarah Walsh, Katie Gill, and. Mm-hmm. Myself with the three striking, that we started our debuts together. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. We've, for ten years, you know, for ten years we had that partnership, which was awesome. Uh, and Caitlin Munoz came into it later down the track. Um, I can't. April, I can't remember her last name. There was a few. There was a few that I just can't remember, top of my head. Mm. And then they, uh, Jill Foster was another one. Amy Duggins now, but Amy mm-hmm. Taylor. So yeah, well these old old Matildas, which uh, look back at it, just puts a smile on my face because it's actually a team that started it all. Like I I was back then, that's when it all started for the Matildas, and it's just nice when I talk about it.
0: And 150 odd caps later, uh, there was (laughs) so so many uh, memories, and, and I'm sure more to come. But if we talk about 2007, you spoke about not going to that previous World Cup, but you did go to the World Cup in China, named in the All-Star team for the first time because you would be again nominated for World Player of the Year. Did that just make you feel like, this is where I want to be, I've made it?
1: Tommy always said to me, even before that, he goes, you know, because I always drive him nuts. <laughs> and he just always, always knew that was something, I could always go to the next level. And it, it was just a matter of, he always knew there was a matter of time. And I didn't think it would happen at that World Cup because my, my dad just passed away six weeks before. And I'm thinking, I'm, and I'm, I don't know if I'm in the right headspace, but mm. the girls rallied together and they believed and we believed as a team. I just went out and, and just beat myself. And, mm. and, and I didn't expect to be this name at the time where everyone just was so interested in who I was and wanted to do interviews because I still saw myself as that young kid that's still chasing these dreams, you know? Mm. So it was a real turning point in my career when all that started to happen because I I wasn't ready for the whole hype about it. I had to, but I enjoyed wanting to take the team to a different level. I loved it because it was just, we always seemed to be the underdogs. And I loved the, the whole competitiveness and improving people wrong. So, yeah, that was uh, the, definitely the big changing point in my career in 2007 uh, World Cup.
0: Yeah, I remember. And you were, as you say, the name on everyone's lips and, and media interviews and, and all these stories. I read one afterwards uh, that you came back home and returned to your job at the petrol station.
1: Yeah, I went back to, well, I applied for a job at the petrol station until I figure out what I was doing. Yeah.
0: Does that just baffle you that you can go and be a star on the world stage and come back to such a normal existence?
1: Yeah, it was it was weird, but if you don't remember, like it, if you talk about that now, it would probably be if that happened now, then you'd be like, that's that that should not happen. But back then, the profile of the women's game wasn't as big, but I did get a lot of people coming in. <laughs> paid for their pe- paid for their petrol recognizing me and <laughs> and having conversations and I don't I'm not someone that really likes to not, not have conversation with people but like talk about myself. Mm. So I get very uncomfortable. Um and especially being such a young kid, twenty two, like going what the hell's going on, you know, like <laughs> how come I'm getting all these attention, you know, I, I don't know what to do with it. Um so I asked to be put at the back so I didn't have to serve customers anymore. Oh, um So, but it was a, but you know what, that's, I like that story, you know, it makes it grounded and it it just gives you a real reflection of real life about women's football, women's sports back then that, you know, you can be on top of the world and be a star and still have to go back to reality.
0: Yeah, absolutely true. And uh, as you say, I would would hope that those those stories now are, are a thing of the past, even though sentimentally it's, uh, it's just such a beautiful tale to tell in a history of how hard uh, you and the players of your generation had to work. Because, of course, China 2007 was the first of four World Cups for you so far. Germany, Canada yeah. and France would follow. Did you have a favourite? There's it's only two World Cups that I
1: can honestly say that or the difference in, in the Matildas, and that would have to be the two thousand and seven World Cup. You know that really put the mark on um, the, the world, uh, the world and Australia, the Matildas, and started to believe that that saying "never die, Matildas" kind of belief. Mm. And in two thousand and fifteen, when we will put in the group of death, and mm-hmm. um and we over, we just found the Matildas brand just boomed from there. It was just the brand of football that we're playing, the players that we had, we finally got there. And, you know, it was just an amazing feeling. Like I look back at those two World Cups and I, I would never change those that generation ever for anything. Do you have and it's a, two different completely Yeah. Too.
0: <laughs> no, well, this is the thing, and, and it's a different landscape now. You've actually managed to straddle two generations, and I would argue that you're probably the only one that can say that you've seen that evolution. How do you reflect on that? Is it easier now or is it a different type of challenging?
1: Um, it's, it's a hard one because it's a, I can't even I'll try to explain what it feels like mm. because I still have that old school, die hard, um, fight for everything kind of mentality from the old generation. But I have that whole new generation of the, the quality, the rights and the, the things that we need to, to be a professional. So I'm always torn in between those feelings. But it's it just when I look back, it's just how quickly it's just revolved. But it hasn't really revolved that quickly, if that makes sense.
0: <laughs> no, that's so true. And I remember that we had a chat uh, shortly after the uh, the boycott of the U.S. trip, and we talked about the shirt being sacrosanct, and that's something from your background, isn't it? If you're if you have an opportunity to play in the green and gold, you take it with both hands. Is that how you felt? Yeah, look, there's more, more, like one day
1: I'll, I'll have, a, you'll know the full details of the reason <laughs> why I chose that. But, you know, it's you, it's, you never turn down playing for your country. Whether, there's always a way to solve things. And um, for me, I could never say no. And, 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 and if I felt like I had to follow a, a, t- a team to do that, then I feel like I'm not being true to myself. And I've always been someone that has to be true to myself, even if I'm the only person standing. And, yeah, it was quite a tough time at the time, but I look back at it and I have no regrets of saying I'll always play for my country.
0: Mm. And your perspective over the years and uh, your maturity is another thing that we've spoken about on and and off the field. Chasing a dream is really difficult. You got there, though, but if you had to go back and offer some advice to your 16-year-old self, what would you say?
1: Some advice? Um, Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, Or was every step important? Well, uh, I might be a bit of. Con- uh, I'll probably <laughs> say. Probably I might get myself into trouble by saying this. I'll probably say there's, <laughs> there's no loyalty in football, put it that way. So just enjoy it and play as, as long as you can and as, as much as you can.
0: I don't think I have any regrets, to be honest. And nor should you, because it's been a stellar career thus far. Certainly far from over with Lisa Devanna. Next up, we find out who had the biggest influences on her career and how she gets to relax. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Australian football legend Lisa Devanna is with us today. Lisa, who had the biggest influence on your career? Um, coaches, players, people. Mm-hmm. Co- um, coaches in particular?
1: Okay, so I would have to say um, obviously Tommy. Um, for me, he just knew how to play and manage me very well and that's and that's. When you're a player that doesn't like, because I have a different background to a lot of people, so, and he understood that, so he knew how to to really make me feel comfortable and and get people around me to make and guide me in the right way. I think for me, he he was probably you know even to this day someone I still can find in when things are tough or I just need a different perspective. And sometimes he can be um, like it comes across like. Everyone that meets him will come across and say he's a good guy, and which he is, but he's also honest with me. And he has had times and said to me, no, try to see it from this perspective, and then I'll get angry and be like, nah, nah, and then hang up, and then I'll call him back <laughs> because I know he's right.
0: <laughs> I think he's someone, <laughs> so he's, <laughs> but he's used to it, so it's okay. But he's got such enormous respect for you as a player. Tom Samani was actually our guest on Trailblazers last week, and he spoke of the, the skill and the talent that, he saw in you as a player when he was your coach. Uh, you got on very well, but it didn't stop him chucking you out of camp a couple of times, did it? Yeah, but that,
1: that's the cause <laughs> <laughs> that's cause he wasn't listening to me. If he just listened <laughs> there wouldn't be any issues. That's a problem. Uh, nah, I'm, I'm sure he agrees with that. <laughs> yeah, I think he got a, a little bit, he got a little bit angry at me. He's never yelled at me before, but he did yell at me at that camp and I was actually in shock. I was really upset that he yelled at me. So <laughs> but he still called me back in. I just had to say sorry. And a- I did. Absolutely. So all good. A-
0: and he even, he brought you back into his, his club side when he was coach of Orlando Pride, of course, as well. Yeah. So an, an enormous mutual it, respect the...
1: there. Oh, of course. Of course. Like, uh, or I, I don't think um, there goes a week, probably maybe 10 days that I probably won't call him, that I, I call him constantly. And it might just to be to say, hello, how are you? Mm. Just to, so just so he reminds me. Just so I can ruin his week, so so he hasn't forgot <laughs> that, that I that I'm out the pitcher, so I give him flashbacks back in the day when he was a Matilda's coach.
0: But I just call him up. No, I'm only joking. I, I'm, no, sure, I, I'm sure, I'm sure really... he looks forward to your to your daily <laughs> slash weekly calls. Uh, he, he of course knows, as you said, your background. He understands you as a person. Um, who out of Perhaps your your younger years and your your family time. Who have you really needed around you? Now I've got a special love uh, for your mum. I love seeing how proud she is. Uh, I know that the rest of your family is enormously proud of you, and, and now your auntie Lisa. And uh, who who do you look to for support now? Obviously, you've
1: met my mother, <laughs> Connie. She's a big fan, but I don't really go to her for support because mm. she comes to me for support, and she stresses me out when. <laughs> <laughs> she watches the football game. So just just a quick example. We played Sydney. I flew her over to come and watch Sydney, and we lost the, uh, the Premier Plate. One week later, she's still blowing up about losing the Premier play, and and it's almost grand final week. So she obviously feels like a player because... Um, she's still complaining about it. I said, let it go. It's done. But I'm upset. To, I'm upset because you didn't know win. I said, I'm upset that we didn't win either, but you deserve it. I said, I know I deserve it, but that's not football. Oh,
0: that's so
1: I beautiful. Said, yeah, so she gets really worked up about it. So she's, she's, she's just involved, but I wouldn't go for her. My sister, obviously is someone that I can find in a lot. Mm-hmm. And I have, look, I have a lot of good support. Like Rose Garifano has been my mentor for about I don't know 20 odd years. And, mm-hmm. She has my back regardless and, you know, you know, she shares every journey in my football journey with me and whoever's in my life, um, I would call her like part of my, my blood sister. And, you know, there's other like, I have a lot of other close people that I, I support to, but, you know, also have a lot of respect in terms of, you know, Shell Salisbury and Heather Garriock and, you know, Di Alligich and all these other Matildas players that I respect a lot that I have time for just gone through names and Abby Wombach and all them. So that they've been mm. big influences my career as well. And and, and coaching perspective, you know, obviously Tommy, I have a lot of respect for Stadge
0: mm-hmm. and I have
1: a lot of respect for Ray Ray Geller. So there's a lot of and they all give me something different, you know. Um for me, you know, um and that's what I like. It's not just one person just gives me this and that person gives me the same. They all give me the same um, there's something different, but the understanding differently, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. I know there's a lot of people, to be honest. I come to think when you ask me that question, you really put me on the spot because <laughs> oh, I'm quite sorry. lucky to have a lot of people that actually like me because I am a pain in the ass half the time.
0: <laughs> but an honest and loyal one, Lisa. <laughs> That's
1: yeah, the important and thing. And don't get that in a lot of people.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, with the coaches that you mentioned, I know that you've dabbled in coaching when you first came back from uh, Italy. Uh, particularly just recently, uh, you dabbled in a little bit of coaching. Is that something you'd like to go into long-term?
1: I did, but now I'm like, no.
0: Because <laughs> it scarred you?
1: <laughs> oh, nah, look. You know, Heather off said something to me that really <laughs> put me off. She goes, being a coach is a lot, a lot of work, but not a lot of reward. <laughs> and I'm like, okay that box i I, yeah. look, I like working with youth and i think i'm very good at development and being a mentor and bringing the best of people that kind of role and i wouldn't mind being an assistant coach at, in, a, in a in a in a like a, a top team but in terms of a head coach i don't think i have the temperament to be a head coach because i just don't feel like it's my strength but if that's me talking as a as a, a player, mm. like, who knows in five years' time that I do all these things and get involved and I, I develop these skills? But it's not something that I see myself wanting to do. Mm,
0: the mentoring's been quite important. That leadership role that you've you've taken, uh, especially the the youngsters that are, are looking up to you now. And we're seeing a big exodus of players wanting to get overseas because, of course, the borders stopped all of you players who played in that grand final. It stopped you going over and being part of that uh, Matildas camp. But how important is it to get the timing of a move? overseas absolutely right because there's been some experiences for some of the players that have been absolutely horrible it's not that everything glitters gold if you go to Europe yeah is
1: that right? yeah I, everything you're saying like it's great that yeah you go play professionally overseas you can go to a, a league and play in the worst team and it doesn't ben- benefit you you might not get better or you might not have the support I think we need to first and foremost is fix what's in our own backyard then then worry about sending players overseas. Cooney Cross is probably the best young player that's come out. But I can tell you now that she's not ready to go overseas. Mm. Um, mentally, she's not. But what do we, how do we prepare her to be ready? How do we prepare her for a top team and, and, and get her mentally, physically and emotionally right for those? Because we don't want her to go over there and, and fail and, and hate football because she wasn't um, ready. Because, you know, every player is going to go through hardship and 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 that's what builds resilience and character. But we don't want to lose players like her either. So I think there's a lot of work that needs to be on our own uh, in, in Australia before. It's good, but you have to make sure that it's the, the, the right environment and the right team. Otherwise, you're just going to fall back anyway.
0: And I guess it's difficult uh, speaking to any of you who are who are still uh, current players at the top of your game about watching the Matildas in action when you can't be over there because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But you would have seen the match or, or at least uh, some of it perhaps against uh, Germany because hopefully you were tucked up in bed ahead of a grand final. <laughs> um, a 5-2 loss, not really what... Australia wants, you know, with an Olympics not far away, but you know what it's like to play a team like Germany. The Netherlands is tonight. They're another fantastic team. Um, how much should players read into results or, or the general public? Well, look, like I said, I, I
1: was typed away. I didn't even know. I, look, to be fair, I haven't even had time to even look at the highlight package no, I can imagine. Defense. So <laughs> you've been a bit yeah, busy. <laughs> so busy with the grand final, and I, and I didn't want to. Like I'm the top person that whatever I'm doing in that moment becomes my priority, and yep. winning that grand final was my priority. So I didn't talk about Matildas. I didn't want to know about Matildas. Mm. But what I can say from from a player's perspective and from a, an outsider and a footballer, you know, it's kind of brave that Tony has gone out and go let's play the top teams mm. um, because for him, for what. People from the outside, they see, oh, that's a smashing. Mm. Oh, that's not good. Mm. But maybe for his mind, he's thinking, I want to play the best players with the players I've got. All right, that's the benchmark. Where do we go from there? So this is more of a reality chip for him, for how, this, how he wants to operate. I can't have any comment about how the game was played because mm. I didn't watch it. But from the players' perspective, yep. you, they haven't been together for 100 days. You know, they have sort of gone through the end of their season. There's a few new players coming in, a new style. Everything's new. Everything's a novelty to them now. But you still don't lose your principles as, as a, a team. But one thing I know, the brand of the Matildas, and which will never should never, ever fade away, is that we, we're called Never Die Matildas for a reason.
0: Perhaps tell us where you feel you're at from a playing perspective when you mentioned That prior to this W League season, you thought you might not play W League. Then you have this breakout performance, which everyone looks at and thinks, wow, you are still at the top of your game. Do you want to come back for another W League season? Um,
1: I'm not sure. I I really, Mm
0: -hmm. I think... I wouldn't I'll have an answer exactly and probably in a couple
1: of weeks or where, where I'm um, at. It's it's sort of it's a it's a hard one because I'm sort mm. of um I don't know where I'm at and if I do end it, do I wanna end it with a W league that I've just had and have that memory? Mm. Or do I play another one and, and challenge myself? I, I just I just don't know. And I don't want to make. I don't want to have an answer to it by an emotion. It's something that I have to think about. If that mm. makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. No. 100%. So right now, I don't know. I, I generally don't know what I'm going to do. So we'll need to check in with you in a couple of weeks' time. Just tell us, though. Uh, lifting that trophy yesterday and and after that match finished, you looked so happy. Is that how you feel? Are you content with what you performed? Uh, how you performed it, and what happened for you this season?
1: Yeah. Look. Um. Yeah, it's just. It was just. You know the 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 thing for me for this, it was the whole time I was thinking, I want to win for the girls. They deserve it. So it wasn't for me that I'm like, oh great, I win another trophy. It was just so rewarding to see how happy they were, um, winning it because they put in the hard yards. They've trusted in in our uh, culture and belief and and were just such a tight-knit group that, for me, it was, I was happy for them because I always made it, to, always made it clear to them that the plays that you have here is not the same team that you're going to have next year. Some of you will make it, some won't. But the memories you have is what you make from it. And this is something that I really wanted them to have, is a memory and a, and a trophy to remember. So, for me, it was, that was what was more exciting, the memory of, of the grand final and, and the, the journey that we had together. So that was more rewarding than the actual trophy,
0: to be honest. Lisa Devanna, you've given us all so many wonderful memories on the football pitch, and it's been an absolute delight to talk to you off it. Thank you for taking the time to chat to us today. Can't wait to read this book when it comes out in coming years. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. All the best for whatever lies ahead. Thank you.